Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Those of you who are visiting today, again, welcome. We're glad to have you with us this morning worshiping. Let me just invite you uh, just to take a moment and take a deep breath. You know, one of the one of the challenging things this time of year is just to slow down. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of busyness. And the purpose of worship is not to uh, increase um, the race that you're in, but to redirect you towards the one who is the source of life and grace. And so I just want you to take a moment this morning and pray. Quiet your heart. Maybe you haven't already done that this morning, so I want you to have the opportunity to do that. As you're quieting your heart, uh, maybe you need to just be real honest with the Lord. There's something you're struggling with, someone you're struggling with. Um, Maybe there's been anxiety. Maybe you just haven't stopped. Maybe this is the first time in a long time you've actually paused. Uh, Take a a few moments, and, and out of that rest that we have in the Lord, let's study his word together, so... Go ahead and pray, and then I'll lead us in a prayer together. Scriptures tell us to be still and know that you are God. So, Father in heaven, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Spirit. We thank you, the triune God, that you take burdens. You carry the weak. Uh, Scripture tells us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. And so as we open up the word today, Father, we ask that you would allow us to hear the word as coming from you. The God who loves the sinner. The God who cares for the broken. The God who aches over and ultimately fixes injustice. Heavenly Father, let us hear you, your voice today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. A very good friend of mine, uh, Terry Jenk, uh, when we were young lads pastoring together in different churches, uh, we would visit one another every once in a while. And When I would walk into Terry's office, he had uh, on a carving on his wall above his desk when you came in, the sign that said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And he put that over his office because in, even as Christians and even as pastors, we can find ourselves busy about so many things, but we're not committed to what we've been called to, the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it takes collaborative effort as a church family, to keep the mission of Christ the main thing of our lives. We have to fight together and work together to keep that in place. And as we've been working our way through this great section in Luke chapter 17, I've been showing you that in Jesus' teaching here, he speaks to the uh, Pharisees and, and he speaks to his disciples. And he does that in the text that we're looking at today. And he's calling forth these kind of attributes, these priorities for the community of his disciples in order to fulfill his mission. In verse 11, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's singular in his journey towards the cross. Aren't you glad that nothing kept him from going to the cross? Nothing hindered him from 
being willing to suffer for you and for me in order that our sins might be forgiven and set free. And so as Jesus is journeying towards Jerusalem, he's encountering people, going out of his way to meet a group of lepers who are kind of outcasts in the culture and ministering to them the hope and the healing of his uh, gospel. And so as we're looking at these things, I've tried to show as Waterbrook. Waterbrook, um, we want to create a culture where discipleship happens. We have it in our very uh, vision statement that Waterbrook seeks to be a multi-ethnic, gospel-centered family that um, is captivated by Jesus, compelled to love others, and called to make disciples to the glory of God. And as we think about how we make followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, to the glory of God, there's a way that doesn't bring glory to God, obviously, and there is a way that does bring glory to God. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that Jesus makes it clear that as Christians we ought to have a culture of forgiveness. The Pharisees and the scribes had a culture of self-righteousness, a culture of condemnation. Uh, you did not feel like if you were the people that began to follow Jesus, the tax collectors and sinners, that there was any welcome to you, any hope for you. But the reality is that when God saves people like me and God rescues people like you, he doesn't just give us a pill, he doesn't just give us a fix, and suddenly we get our lives together. Sanctification is a process. Growing into becoming like Jesus is living in relationship to one another where we struggle and when we're broken, where we go through the issues of life and we take two steps forward, one step back. John was saying in his introduction this morning, some Sundays we roll in ready for worship and some days we come in with our tails between our legs feeling, what have I done? Where am I? And so the gospel, the church is meant to be a culture of forgiveness where we're constantly helping one another grow into Christ-likeness, progressively through the ups and downs and the twists and turns, reminding each other that the work is finished in Jesus Christ and that the love of Christ is faithful and enduring. And so we want a culture of forgiveness and we want an atmosphere of thanksgiving. Jesus healed 10 lepers, only one came back. And Jesus says, where are the nine? And I wanted to pose that question last week. What's your level of gratitude for the gospel? Uh, and is that level of gratitude shaping you with amazement and wonder? It's, it's not that God has given us gifts. It's that God has given us himself. We've, we're singing this morning, Emmanuel, God is with us. Isn't it amazing that you can be a child of God? You can call him Abba Father. You can be part of the family of God. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what anybody has said to you, no matter what that voice is, uh, somebody said to you when you were in third grade that still locks in your brain and makes you feel like you're a worthless nobody, Jesus calls you his own. He's not ashamed to call you his brethren. He heals us and cleanses us and receives us unto himself. And, and we ought to have a culture of an atmosphere of thanksgiving regularly in the church. We sing and rejoice in the gospel. Well, this morning as we continue in Luke chapter 17, what I want us to see at the end of the chapter is that we need to be a community that helps us have a kingdom-first focus. A kingdom-first focus. And what you and I are going to see in this text of Scripture is that Jesus is absolutely, with a bullseye, got his eye upon Jerusalem. 
And uh, that's what it says in chapter 17. He's moving towards Jerusalem. And what Jesus is doing is he knows he's going to Jerusalem in order to die for you and I. He's got a cross in front of him. And then he turns to his disciples and says, you need the same focus. And, and in a sense, what we're meant to see is as Jesus makes his way to take the cross at Jerusalem, we are to be as equally focused in moving towards the new Jerusalem. That we are heaven bound. We are moving through this earth and advancing the kingdom of God. And what you and I need to see in the example of Jesus here is that when Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem, he knows that he has a cross that he has got to bear in order to deliver us. And we ourselves realize we have a cross that we need to take up and follow him. One of the things that we have to be very careful of as Christians, especially in the Western world in America, is that Christianity, I believe, at least in the 20th century, has had major proponents, major components of our religious faith that have been escapism rather than engagement. And when you listen to Jesus teach his disciples, he's not saying that we should be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. He actually says you should be so heavenly-minded that you're fully uh, engaged at an earthly level, making a difference in the kingdom of God. And so uh, listen to Christopher Wright as he describes what it means to be the church. He says, our mission is nothing less or more than participating with God in this grand story until he brings it to its guaranteed climax. God has purpose to save the nations for himself through his son and by his son through his people. His mission is our mission and we ought to be on mission. But you and I need to realize how hard that is, isn't it? It's just very, when the world gets dark and situations get difficult and uh, you read the news and it's just increasingly toxic and, and evil, it's really uh, easy for us to move into like an escapist mindset. Get me out of here, Lord. We do, rightly, sometimes cry out, how long, O Lord? But the call isn't to escape. The call is to engage. And so Jesus clearly, deliberately, and sacrificially advances his mission towards Jerusalem, and we must do the same. We must clearly, deliberately, and sacrificially advance the kingdom of God towards the new Jerusalem. And so what that means for you and I is that we cannot allow the Christian community, we cannot allow Waterbrook Church to have an us versus them mentality. We have to have an us for them mentality. See the difference? Because that's often the way you hear Christianity. It's us versus them. The bad world and, and this little kind of enclave of righteous, self-righteous people. No way. My dear friends, we're sinners being saved by grace. Who've been, who've been, we, are, we are beggars going to announce to the starving world that we found bread in Jesus Christ. Now, it's okay for you to say, man, I'm really bad at this. Because as I try to love my neighbors and as I try to reach out in the name of Jesus Christ, I just kind of fumble and, and uh, make my way in an awkward way. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know how to do it. Sometimes I don't know how to speak to people. Somehow I don't know how to share the hope of the gospel with somebody around me. And it reminds me of my golf game. Um, some of you have golfed with me, so it's an easy illustration. But I like golfing. I never golf a lot. I usually golf like three or four times a year just to frustrate the people I golf with. But um, when I go out and golf, one of the things is, is that I am consistently inconsistent. 
If I can fix one part of my game, like this year my putting was atrocious. Uh, I could drive, I could get to the green in two, and, that, and I've had different friends with me. I remember when I was a young lad learning how to golf, one of the deacons in my church was a very good golfer. And so I remember hitting the ball one time, and he came up to me and, to give me advice, and he says, um, do you, know, you want to know what your problem is? And I said, sure. He goes, you're standing too close to the ball after you hit it. <laughs> I went, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that is obvious. Yes, I'm standing too close to the ball. And then he walked off laughing. That wasn't helpful. You know? But I had another friend that I golfed with, and every once in a while I'd get out there and I'd shank the ball, and he would look at me and nod his head. And he'd just go, advance the ball. <laughs> At least I was going forward. I wasn't going backward. You know, and I sense in the scriptures, uh, as we're getting these texts of scripture, Jesus isn't looking at his disciples and thinking he's got a bunch of home run hitters. He doesn't have a bunch of guys who know what they're doing. But these are the ones through whom the power of the Holy Spirit is going to work and the kingdoms of the world are going to be turned on its head by the kingdom of Christ. Our hope is in the Lord, not ourselves. And what you and I need to see as we come to this text of Scripture is that this one who was determined to go to Jerusalem is determined to take a people with him to the new Jerusalem. And as we fix our eyes on that, as we work together, as we seek to be engaged rather than escape, we can have this hope that if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Isn't that our comfort? And so we can't afford to be engaged, not because of us, but because of Jesus. Not because of our depth of love, but because of his depth of love. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to walk through this text and ask the question, what is Jesus telling these? Well, he talks to the Pharisees first, and then he has a little conversation with his disciples afterwards. What is he teaching them about advancing the kingdom of God? Here's the first thing I want you to see in this text of Scripture. If you want to see the kingdom, be the kingdom. Or put it the other way around, be the kingdom in order to see the kingdom. Look at Luke 17, verse 20. It says, the Pharisees again are probing, they being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, what? The kingdom of God is where? It's in your midst. So I, I love this. This, this reminds, I mean, just stop for a moment and think, these Pharisees are coming to Jesus and they have seen um, the lame walk. They've seen the lepers cleansed. They've actually seen the dead raised. They've seen, ra you know, radical miracles done by Jesus and they come up to Jesus and say, where's the kingdom of God? And you stop and go, what are you thinking? Where is the kingdom of God? It reminds me of a birthday card Mary Ann gave me once. She gave me this birthday card, and on the front of it is a husband standing in front of the refrigerator shouting to his wife, where's the butter? And they open up the card, and on the inside is the inside of the refrigerator where every shelf has butter. <laughs> every drawer has butter. There's butter. That's the only thing that's in the fridge. I don't know why she sent me that, but... <laughs> But I, where is it? It's like right in front of you. And that's what it feels like here in this text of Scripture. They come to Jesus and say, where's the kingdom of God going to be? And it, Jesus is saying, your expectations are totally askew. 
kingdom of God is not going to be this major event here or this major event here. The kingdom of God is right here, right now, in your midst. And, and you've got to stop and realize they already had a predisposition against seeing the kingdom of God. Tax collectors? Sinners? Lepers? Prostitutes? Tainted people being forgiven and received? They had already dismissed that as the kingdom of God. Now there are three, uh, or probably more, uh, arguments. What does Jesus mean when he says here that the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, or the word is near unto you? Uh, one translation, b- based on other passages of Scripture, say that when Jesus says the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, that he's saying it's in the middle of you, that it's a spiritual kingdom, that it's inside you. And that's true, isn't it? That the kingdom of God is cha- a changed heart. And certainly that is true. Um, others say that when it says it's near unto you or in the midst of you, that he's saying to the Pharisees, it's right before you. It's within reach of you. But I believe Jesus is saying something far more profound in this passage of Scripture. When Jesus says it's in the midst of you, Jesus is saying it's right here. I am the king. Emmanuel. I have come to you. Listen to one commentator, David Garland. He says, this statement in the midst of you refers to the present reality embodied in the preaching and healing of Jesus. It explains why God's reign does not come with apocalyptic warning signs. They are, what he says here, they are pointless because Jesus is the sign of the presence of God's reign, which expresses the paradoxical already and not yet reality of God's reign. Jesus tries to read or to direct the Pharisees' gaze away from the future to the present. Their problem is they can't read the signs of the times. He is the sign of the times. This is the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is announcing. The kingdom of God is here because the king has come. God has sent his son. And so, you know, you and I, as we, as we think about this, is that as, as Jesus is advancing the kingdom because he's the king by going to the cross, you and I need to realize that our union with Jesus Christ means that we are the kingdom of God. Uh, that's how the Bible reads, that we have been joined to Christ. by To be a Christian means to become part of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to a couple of these texts of Scripture that make it clear. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what's happened to us when we have been forgiven of our sins and you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. And not only as a citizen of the kingdom of God are you someone who belongs to it, but you are someone who promotes it. That's why in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, as Paul speaks excitedly about the gospel, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations. My dear friends, the kingdom of God is the church in the world. Christ reigning through his church. This is good news. 
This gives us a holy importance. Do you have your identity collaboratively and corporately as being the kingdom of God present in this world, advancing that kingdom? This is where Christ reigns and rules in our lives and through the church advances his kingdom. R.C. Sproul tells, uh, the late R.C. Sproul tells the story one time, it was 1990, he was traveling through Eastern Europe. He went through uh, Czechoslovakia and Hungary and then Romania. And he was warned, they were traveling by train, that when they got to Romania, that they, they would be stopped at the border. And the, at that point in time, the Romanians were not very warm towards Americans. So said, just be aware of it. When you get to Romania, you're not going to be received very warmly. So sure enough, the train comes to Romania and they stop and these couple of border guards or whatever come in and they begin to look at people's passports and they stop at their group. And they look at R.C. Sproul's uh, passport and he's American. They look at one of the women on the team and they begin to pull their bags down. And they took the woman that was with, one of the women who were with the team, began opening everything and pulling it out, pulled out a bag. And suddenly... Um, the senior officer to these guards came walking in. And the, and the officers stopped. The guard stopped. And he uh, took the bag that they had taken out of the woman's bag, this little paper bag, and they pulled out, he pulled out, and it was a Bible. And then he opened up the Bible and began to flip through the pages. As he was flipping through the pages, he stopped. And then he looked and he pointed at R.C. Sproul and he said, you are not an American. R.C. Sproul got a puzzled look on his face, and then he pointed at the woman and said, you are not an American. And then a smile came across his face, and he said, and I am not Romanian. And he pointed to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. We are citizens of heaven. We are that kingdom. And that was powerful for R.C. Sproul as a living, that the borders, we belong to another kingdom and another world through Jesus Christ. The kingdom is here. My dear friends, you understand the kingdom's here? Right now, the kingdom of God is here in your midst. Don't be looking for fireworks. Look at the person beside you. Be unimpressed and totally thrilled. We are the kingdom of God. R.C. Sproul says this, quoting, referring to Calvin. He said, John Calvin says, it's the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, our families, our schools, and even our checkbooks. Because God in Christ is king over every, sphere, uh, every one of these spheres of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in the world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. Got that? And so Jesus is saying to these scribes and Pharisees, the kingdom of God is here. It's near to you in me, in these disciples, and it will be in the church. That's who the kingdom of God is. That should excite us. Humble us, but excite us. And that's why we are to be helping one another live out our mission and not be disengaged from the world. My dear friends, we exist not to hide from the world, but to infiltrate it. To advance and announce the reign of Jesus, a worthy king. It'll only be as we seek to be the kingdom of God that we'll see the kingdom of God. Have you ever noticed this? You know, if you're wrestling with God and all that kind of stuff, you go, well, where is this thing? And sometimes, you know, I hear people complain about the lack of evidence of God's work, and I, I almost have to think in my head, where are you? 
Like, are you sleeping? Because if you commit to the work of the kingdom, you follow Jesus, you'll be hearing stories. I mean, I have the advantage. I acknowledge. I'm a pastor. So I interact with a lot of people on an ongoing basis. And the beauty and the gift to my soul is I see Jesus working all the time. In brokenness and sorrow, in marriages and families and single lives. I see it all the time. I hear testimonies all the time. So I'm interacting with people. So when somebody comes and says, God isn't working, I have this little conundrum that goes on in my brain. Okay. But one of the things the Bible warns us about is maybe the reason you don't see the kingdom is you're not seeking the kingdom. And in order to see the kingdom, you need to seek the kingdom. It's by being engaged by faith in the power of the Spirit, lifting up the reign of Jesus that you'll actually see. It's not going to be flashes and fireworks and all that. It's going to be broken people in corners where nobody else notices. But Jesus notices them and goes there. Secondly, this is the engagement, not escapism. Verse 22 to 25. And and here's what I, this is kind of directly where I want to speak to the Western church, the American church, we have to avoid listening to religious sensationalism. Um, we, we need to have a realistic understanding of the gospel and help one another stay focused on our mission. Look at verse 22 here in this passage. He said to the disciples, the days are coming when you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they'll say, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them, Jesus says. For as lightning flashes and lights, and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. In other words, Jesus says, don't go looking for the Son of Man. Go living for the Son of Man or dying for the Son of Man. He says that the days of the Son of Man coming, Tom Schreiner says, the days of the Son of Man refers to the days in which he returns and establishes his kingdom fully. Some will claim in, those com- in the coming days that the Messiah has arrived and can be found at a particular place, but the disciples must ignore such claims. Listen to this. Jesus will not return in secret. His coming will be as obvious and pervasive as lightning that fills the entire skyline. So friends, if, if, it, the, I think sometimes what happens to us is we love to get in these end times discussions and then we say, is he over here? Is this the sign of the times? How many blood moons are there going to be before the coming of Christ? And we get into all that stuff and get distracted from the reality that we are to be engaged in the mission, advancing it by the church going forward in the gospel, not waiting for this cataclysmic, cataclysmic end by which it may happen when 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 the pharisees come up and when the disciples are saying when are the days of the son of man coming that language of the son of man is talking about that ultimate it's in daniel's prophecy that one day the son of man will come and all the nations will be before him aren't you looking forward to that day but you and i are not to escape now kind of sit back and say i'm going to fold my arms and wait for it to pass we're to be engaged in advancing that kingdom that the kingdom comes through the church Daniel, let me show you Daniel 7.13, just so you know where the quote of the days of the Son of Man are coming. Daniel 7.13, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. 
And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And and you see in this text of Scripture why there will be people who will just kind of pull aside and say, I can't wait for that day. I'm just going to wait for it. I can't wait for it, my friends. You're not to wait for it. You're to seek it and advance it. Enter into it as it's coming. You are to wait for it. But waiting is not passive. Waiting is active. And when it says, Jesus says, when lightning flashes, he's using language of scripture which is meant to say, you, you won't miss it, folks. You, you're not going to miss it when he returns. Everybody will know when Jesus fully returns. And so one of the things I want us to see is that escapism that we have sometimes, oh, I can't wait till he comes. I'm just going to sit out here. The world's getting darker. The world's getting more evil. You and I as Christians need to help each other stay engaged. We don't need to help each other escape. I don't need any help escaping. That's easy for me to do. I need you to help me to, to, to keep going. We need missional singularity. Don't go looking for the Son of Man. Get living for the Son of Man. Engage not escape. I was thinking about this because we're in Christmas party season, right? And so there's lots of Christmas parties all over the place. And if, you're, if you have any tendency towards escapism, the question that you have in your head as you're driving into the driveway for the Christmas party is, how long do we have to stay till we can leave, right? <laughs> how long? <laughs> you know, because that's what happens after you get the, the 400th party, you're starting to go, do we have to go? Will they notice us? You know, you get this escape. is too much for us. Okay, maybe I'm the, okay, sorry. I don't do this when I come to your party, but it, it can happen. I've heard it can happen amongst people. The role of the church is to help one another not be escapist, but to be engaged. And so I want to share uh, quickly with you um, some pointers from Tim Keller's uh, he's got some teaching on small groups, and for those of you who are in small groups, this might be helpful for your small groups. Keller talks about having missional small groups where the small groups actually help you stay on mission to advance the kingdom of God, and here's several of the points that Keller gives. A missional small group is not necessarily one who's doing some kind of specific evangelism program, though that's recommended. He says, it, rather, number one, if its members love and talk positively about the city and the neighborhood got that Christians how much dissing the world comes from Christians rather than loving our neighbor as Christ loved us number two if the small group speaks in a language that is not filled with pious tribal or technical terms and phrases nor disdainful and embattled language insider language you know conflict us versus them kind of language thirdly if your small group if in their bible study they apply the gospel to the core concerns and stories of the people of the culture so rather than being disengaged and otherworldly what's going on covid was a great opportunity for us to talk about profound loneliness and the need to be together, right? When you're in the culture, you, you, you look at um, depression, 
suicide. The incredible level of anxiety. And we don't study the Bible looking at it in a condemning spirit, but we rejoice in the one who can take away those things or who can meet us in those things or who will never leave us or forsake us. You understand that we're not disconnecting in our little perfect little world. Forget that. It doesn't exist. Number four, they are obviously interested and engaged with the literature, art, and thought of the surrounding culture and can discuss it both appreciatively and critically. What do I mean by that? Well, Taylor Swift goes and gets the top 10 songs on Billboard, right? First time anybody's had all top 10. And as Taylor Swift comes and she's on that, her number one song is Antihero. Anybody listen to Antihero? Listen to it. Do you want to know why our teenagers are locked down and shut out and afraid of the world and thinking they're the problem? Listen to that song. Because the, the whole thing is, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Right? It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. At tea time, everyone agrees. Why are we so disconnected from the culture that we don't understand the groaning, the, the aching, the heartache? Because we're better? Because we're keeping our hands unstained? What are, the, what are the top books that have been out? Ask Karen Kowalki. Find a reader who knows. What's going on in the culture? Why the culture's aching? Where the culture's going? Where the pr culture's putting its hope? Why, why, are there, why is there radical protests around justice and injustice? As you, as you work through those issues, those issues aren't so that you can be woke. Those issues are so you can be awake for the sake of the gospel. They're not so that we can echo back the, the language, but we can announce forward the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. He, Keller says, if they exhibit deep concern for poor, the poor and generosity with their money and purity with respect and regard to the opposite sex and show humility toward people of other races and cultures. Number six is a big one. If they don't bash other Christians and churches. Then he says, seekers and non-believing people from the city will be invited and will come and stay as they explore spiritual issues. If these marks are not there, it'll be only, only be able to include believers or traditional Christianized people. So all I'm saying there is the, one of the things we have to do in church, one of the things we have to do in small groups and in our relationships, we've got to help ourselves, not withdraw, not permit one another to be escapist. There's a limited time to be engaged and Jesus calls us to that. Here's the third thing in this text. We have to struggle to stay missionally alert. Listen to Luke 17, 26 to 30. 
Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who's on the house stop with its goods in the house not come down to take them away and likewise let the one who is in the field not turn back. Just stop and think about that. At the end of time, when judgment comes, when, when the end is near, when it's unfolding, Jesus is saying, don't turn back, right? Stay in it. But before that, I mean, that, before we even get to that, Jesus warns, what, what's going on? What happened in those days that's illustrative? The people were just carrying on with life as normal. Right? They were eating, drinking. Listen to what David Garland says. He says, what's noteworthy is that Jesus does not mention the sins of Noah's or Lot's generation that brought judgment. You could say, well, in Sodom and Gomorrah, these were their sins. But what he says is it wasn't their sins that Jesus points out. It was their normal lives that they were preoccupied with. Instead, what he notes is they're living in complete disregard with what was coming, immersed in their daily occupations and pleasures, planning and arranging their lives with no thought beyond their immediate interests, self-sufficient, self-satisfied until catastrophe overwhelmed them. So so, uh, I like to watch BBC News at 5 o'clock, and then I watch the German news at uh, 5.30 when I can, Dutch, Deutsch, well. And at the end of the 5.30 to 6 o'clock on PBS Deutsch, well, news, the, the reporter, the host, always says the same line. He says this line. He says, no matter what happens between now and tomorrow, remember, tomorrow's another day. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's this mindset that we get in our heads that tomorrow's just going to be like today. My dear friends, there's a day coming when tomorrow will not be anything like today. It'll be the end. And we have to help one another because we like to look at the world and say, look at the world's sins and struggles with sexual orientation or transgender issues, or we go after all the kind of the big issues that are hot topics for the... But Jesus in this passage of Scripture, not, not that we don't have to work through all those issues, but Jesus in this issue says, the thing that's in danger for all us is eating, drinking, going to work, and getting married. We have the same sins, friends. That we're being lulled to sleep. And that's why we need each other. Paul says in Romans 13, 11 to 14, besides this you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. For salvation is now nearer to us Then when we first believe, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexuality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The biggest danger for many of us is that we're just eating and drinking, going to work and going through the routine. Word of the kingdom of God. Raul, like I forget how long ago it was, but Raul and Allison woke up to their alarm going off in their house. 
carbon monoxide warning. And he stumbled down, and Raoul opened the basement door to go down, and he suddenly got woozy and realized, we've got to get out of the house. They had some construction work going on, and the exhaust for the furnace got covered. There's an alarm going off saying, you're falling asleep, and this sleep will kill you. And Jesus is saying that this is what the danger is, is that don't be like Lot's wife, right? Don't be like Noah's day. Everybody's just eating and drinking and carrying on and investing, watching their, their uh, pension funds and just going on life like it's normal. My dear friends, that'll go in a second. And we need to be speaking to one another and reminding each other we are the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God. And I need you to wake me up because I am drawn to that every day. There are other comforts. There are things that we try to manage to keep me at a place of peace. We need to help one another stay alert. We've got to keep prodding each other towards gospel alertness and engagement. One of our young guys, not too long ago, lost control of his vehicle driving up north. Um, because he fell asleep at the wheel. And the reason partly he fell asleep at the wheel, they left early in the morning, had, 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 had a rough night, left early in the morning, and they were supposed to help each other. They both fell asleep. That's a danger for the church, friends, if we both fall asleep. We've got to prompt each other, sing to one another, elbow one another. Because remember, in those days, that's what it was like. Everybody was just going. We had our, what is it? tryptophan or whatever you get on Thanksgiving when you eat turkey. We're all just eating our turkey, having our cultural tryptophan, and then going off to sleep on the couch while the world is getting ready to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And finally, that's the urgency I said a second ago. Don't turn back. Don't look back. Don't go back. Don't shift at the end of time into life-saving mode. Don't get to the... Keep your hand to the plow. Listen to Jesus in Luke 17, 31 to 37. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. As the time gets darker and the world comes to its end and we're nearing the climax, don't begin to think, oh, oh, I better save my life. Don't do it. Stay awake. Stay on mission. Stay on track. Keep going. Don't be Lot's wife. She looked back. The judgment of God fell upon her. Remember, Israel going into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb coming back saying it's a land flowing with milk and honey and then somebody else coming, they're giants in the land. My dear friends, yes, there's cultural giants. Yes, there's movements in our society. Yes, maybe it's darker than ever, but we are the children of God, the kingdom of God, the bearers of the message of God. If it's darker, the light is needed more now than ever. We need to press on. Jesus says whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. And they ask the question, the disciples say, you know, where, Lord? Where will else be? And he uses that illustration. You know, one person will be, two women will be grinding, and one will be taken away, and there'll be two in a bed. Isn't that an interesting? He's actually teaching that the kingdom of God is very subtle in some senses, that there'll be one person who's living for the kingdom and one person who's not living for the kingdom, both at the same workplace. Two people in the same house going into the same bed. 
one of them's living for the kingdom and one's not. Now, I believe what's being taught here is when they are taken away, it's taken away in judgment. That's what the normal, that's what happened in Noah's day. And that's what's happening here. And, and what he's saying is stay with it. Stick with it. Stay with the plan. Listen to N.T. Wright. He says, there's been a growth industry in writing books based on passages like this. One will be taken and the other left. Some have assumed that being taken in a sense will be snatched up to heaven and be with God, leaving the others behind to survive in a frightening world from which all true believers have been removed. That's not what this passage means, though it's actually the other way around. The people who are taken are the ones in danger. They're being taken away by hostile forces, taken away to their doom. My dear friends, there's of utmost urgency. Do you love your name? neighbor because there's a day of judgment coming an awful day and so we have to help each other finish well to the glory of God that's why the whole story of the gospel is so powerful because where is Jesus right now he's seated at the throne interceding for us he hasn't given up on the plan he hasn't abandoned his purpose his mission will not fail he is still committed to saving. And we are making our way towards that Jerusalem under the Lord Jesus who is overseeing his troops. He has not abandoned us at all. And he will not fail. He will not fail. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against him. You know what, my dear friends? We just got to help each other to the finish line. Help each other to be faithful, not to turn back, to keep fighting the good fight. Those of you who have been watching any of the World Cup soccer, maybe the two of us that are or something. Um, yesterday, Argentina was fighting its way and uh, we're up to nothing and then suddenly Australia got a goal and it was two to one and then there was just like this last minute panic and it's the, the, the announcers were starting, you could hear the crowd starting to sing and I heard one of the announcers saying they're singing them home. Right? They're singing them to victory. You could hear the Argentinian crowd, the songs. If you ever hear soccer, they'll, they'll be singing in the crowd. They're singing them on to victory. My dear friends, we've got to sing each other on to victory. The darker it gets, the more difficult it is. We need to be all the more engaged, all the more committed, because on that day it'll be worth it. It'll be worth every sacrifice, every sorrow. That's what Waterbrook is. We have to cultivate uh, an atmosphere of kingdom-first focused all the way home. Don't fall asleep. Don't go back. Don't take your hand off the plow. Do you agree with me? Let's help each other. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, as we think about this weighty text, we thank you that Jesus is still on the throne. And that as we are called towards this glorious kingdom that is now here, one day it will ultimately be from sea to shining sea. And on that day when every tribe and every tongue and every people, the, the broken, the tax collector, and the sinner, the prostitute, the child, the slave, the person who's been trafficked, when they fall at the feet of Jesus, with joy, oh God, we will sing that every sacrifice was worth it because he is worth it. So I pray, dear God, for Waterbrook, help us to stay on mission because there's nothing else worth doing. For Jesus' sake we pray. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, 
go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.